blew up it like blew the fuck up like, it was dope. it's like where is it you guys should watch the video it was sick you guys should watch the video it, it was, was fucking, so sick it was fucking sick it blew the fuck um, up you are listening to the dude nature podcast What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Dude Nature Podcast. We are in the reactor. Smells like someone just did an insanity max 30 workout in here from Beachbody. That's probably yeah, you because... Yeah, you know it. You know it. That's probably because someone just did, did an insanity max workout in here. Me, a.k.a. David Goggins. Yeah, baby. Get in it with Shanti. Guys, we have three new five-star reviews. One review that said that he likes this man. Not proper English, but we appreciate it anyway. Yeah, thank you. We're not worried about it. Nope, not worried about it. it. Just love the review. Thanks, man. Guys, if you love the podcast, please review us on iTunes. It really helps us. And Noah, these are the gripes. Where we gripe to each other for 30 seconds each about something mildly irritating. So what's your gripe today? I had a gripe about coming into the podcast studio and seeing that my desk has moved to be now your tank. But for it's so horrifying plants. that it's not a gripe. Um, but my, my actual gripe, and I think that a lot of people will, will resonate with this right now, is just that my entire existence, be that working, working out, hanging out, is boiled down to two rooms. Okay, tell me. So my, my office, which I know a lot of people don't have, the, the office, and then um, my living room. That's where I spend my days. Yeah. I know a lot just, of people. Just are, one room. I know just a lot of people. Room. It's fucking worse. So Last I'm sorry. Time. So I uh, I commiserate with you. With the same person. There. All day. With the same person all day. And same dog. I'm talking to my dog. You're talking to your dog? I just want That's a different dog. That's you know Corona has taken over. When you're just like, I'm, you look at your dog, you're like, I hate your face. Can I just get a different dog? <laughs> that'll never happen though. I, Dude, like I, don't think, I don't think that'll ever happen. Uh, my gripe is bookmarks. They're never there when you need them. You're reading a book. And you just got that bookmark at Book Passage or at Powell's Bookstore or at the library. You know, when you really want to use it, guess what? It's not anywhere in sight. You lost it. So you have to dog ear. Everything's dog ear. Dog yeah, ear my cookbooks. Page. Dog ear my books. It's disgusting. <laughs> it makes them gross. Bookmarks are never there when you need Dude, them. I've been dog ear and folding the page for since I was a young boy. Since I was a lad. Nothing wrong with a dog ear to mark your page in a book. No. Yeah. Sign to play a game. Let's do it. These things. Which, what is your favorite piece of Mars fiction? Red Mars, Surviving Mars, Mars Attacks, Terraforming Mars. Which one? What's your favorite? Uh, the video game Surviving Mars. Why is that? Uh, because we gave up video games two weeks ago and Jesus I'm getting to play Christ. video games. Yeah. No. And also, I think that it's a great game that I feel like I learned a lot about, I was honest, yeah. about Mars. Of course. Did I research it? Did I watch the IGN video for it today? Yes, absolutely. Because I'm absolutely craving playing yeah. video game. Guess what? Because there's absolutely no sweet release. I'm not getting any sweet release. Yeah. Let me just let me just update the listener. Me and yeah. Adam, uh, we, we made a pact to quit video games about, what, three weeks ago? And uh, so, yeah, we're feeding because we're in the middle of Rona. So, trying to find other activities. There you go. Like touching ourselves. No, what's our topic today? Guys, I'm very excited for our topic today. Our topic is terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars. As usual, we have an absolutely packed show. First, packed. first we're going to go into what do we need to change about Mars to be like Earth. Then we're going to go into how are we going to terraform it? Like what are we actually going to do to change it? Then we're going to have our halftime honey. 
Then we're going to talk about is there life on Mars? Because if we're going to terraform it, then we're going to destroy all that life. And then finally, is this possible? And how far away are we from actually doing this? That's right. Adam. Yep. It begins that don't suck. Uh-huh. Adam has 60 seconds to give us all the background info we need to enjoy the episode. All that you need. Everything you need is going to be in the 60 seconds. Don't worry. Adam, are you ready? Um, of course I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. Mars is the planet and red is the color. Is it the future of our humanity, Noah, and the destiny of our species to spread to the stars? If this is the case, surely Mars would be the first step on our pilgrimage out into the universe. It is relatively close to us, Mars is. It would only take about seven months, it only does, to travel to Mars. It's currently just a bit longer than astronauts have on the space station. Mars is our neighbor planet, and so is Venus, but Venus is too fucking gassy to even think about doing anything with it. Plus, there are now boatloads of evidence that Mars once had rivers and oceans, so maybe it once supported life? If so, we could probably do it again. This has long been the desire of science fiction, but maybe slowly with the goal of putting humans on Mars within our lifespan seems more achievable. And the threat of, you know, our planet blowing up and everything going to shit over here, this could become more of a reality in the future. We need to get to Mars. So let's go. Let's do it. So Noah, yeah, what is our theme? Guys, our theme for this episode is, is it feasible? Can we do this? Right? It's such a huge concept, Terraforming Mars. So let's wrap our minds around what it might look like if we were going to do this. Adam? Yep. With our first section, what do we need to change about Mars to be like Earth? Yes. Tell us. Okay. So when we talk about Mars's atmosphere, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about gravity first, what that's like on Mars. We're going to talk about Mars's toxic atmosphere. The pressure on Mars and how it relates to the pressure on Earth, dust storms, and magnetic fields, and solar winds. Okay, so we're going to start with gravity. The Martian gravity, it's 38% of Earth's gravity. So it's not, it's, it's uh, not that much. So what happens when the gravity is that low, and why is this bad? Like what happens to the human body? Yeah, what happens to the human body? For astronauts, astronauts lose roughly 1% of their bone mass. I had no idea that this was true per month while in space. And it can take years for an astronaut to gain back their previous bone density that they had before. 1% of their bone mass? Like they the lose, weight of their bones? Right. This is according to NASA. They lose roughly 1% of their bone mass per month while in space. That blows. Right. And so the long stays in the space station are like five months. So they lose 5% of their bone mass. Wait, 1% per Per day? month. Per, oh, month. per month. Okay. Yeah, per so month. they lose 5% of their bone mass. What is right. the critical limit? The, I'm not sure what the critical limit is. But we can't right now get much more than five or six. And the flight to Mars is seven months, right? So there you have your there first you problem go. right first there. First problem. Not to mention the amount that you would lose just being on Mars, right? And then for the trip home as well. So what are you going to do there? Yeah. Okay. So what do um, we do? Yeah. The problem with bone mass is you can have symptoms of osteoporosis and of course, muscular dystrophy. You also lose your muscles, right? Like when you don't work out, you lose your muscles because of the, because of the muscle loss. Uh, from not having to resist all the force on you at all times by gravity. Like, what does gravity do? Gravity is something that you are resisting all day when you're walking around on Earth. You just don't realize it. So it builds up your strength in your muscles and your bones. We actually need gravity to survive here. It is a requirement to survive. Okay, according to Dan Hagen, the director of physiology at the Johnson Space Center, this is how important exercise is. No other activity except eating and sleeping is given as much priority as exercise because famously astronauts exercise about two hours per day at the space station. That's two hours a day. That's just to stay 
at the rate of losing 1% of their That's bone mass per month. four insanity max 30s. <laughs> yeah. Four Shanti exercises. Four Shanti exercises. And the thing they have to work out is they have a, a resistance harness and a treadmill. And it looks awful. They don't even have a podcast. I don't even know if they Are can they get any music. To, can they listen to anything? I, I don't know. I hope so. Otherwise, it'd be super boring. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Two-hour workout sounds like misery. Um, the plasma in their bodies is affected by gravity as well. Because inside of the plasma are red blood cells. And so the oxygen that is inside of those red blood cells doesn't get to parts of the body that you need it to get to and, and, without and, gravity. And you're talking about this just to be like, what we need to change about Mars to be like, right, first we need, to, we need to fix this gravity exactly. situation. Exactly. So we have to fix the gravity situation. 38% of Earth's gravity. Well, So what are we going to do about that? I'm outlining all the problems that we're going to have. Yeah. I think you're going to hit us with the solutions a little bit later. Okay. Okay. Uh, not to mention SAS. Space Adjustment Syndrome. Fucking SAS, am yeah, I right? SAS. Uh, it doesn't usually last for longer than 72 hours, but is basically an awful form of seasickness. While the body adjusts to low gravity that many people get on space station, and I guarantee you we would get. Apparently 45% of people would get SAS. I totally get it. Get because when you go up there, you're, you're floating around. Yep. You've never floated around like that in your life. Yep. Yeah, it's like seasickness. So that is just the gravity, okay? But that is not even the most challenging thing. Let's talk about Earth's toxic atmosphere. Not Earth, Mars's toxic atmosphere Let's compared talk about to it. Mars. Earth's atmosphere, in comparison, 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and 0.04% carbon dioxide. 0.04%. Mars is 95% carbon dioxide. Okay, so, so the yeah, vast so majority of carbon dioxide. Okay, we can't breathe it. We breathe oxygen, right? Last time I checked. It's 5% nitrogen and argon. So where the hell are we going to get the oxygen on Mars? We can't breathe there right now. Where are we getting the oxygen? Okay. There is something on Earth that creates oxygen from carbon dioxide. Do you know what it is? What is it? Plants. Plants. Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. Through photosynthesis. Fuck me. We take, they take in carbon dioxide and they make sugar and water and oxygen. And we need plants. Okay. So let's plant some trees there. So yeah, toxic atmosphere. We can't breathe it right now. It sucks. Okay, so so hold on. So 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 you've talked about gravity, changing the gravity because of bone because of bone loss. Yes. Right? And yes. then and then now you're talking about the obvious one, which is the atmosphere, which can't gravity is effect on the body where okay. we don't get oxygen to our limbs. Right. Because and, of the less pressure and the bone loss. And then the toxic atmosphere is also an issue. Okay. Cool. Of Mars. Okay. Okay. This is my favorite one. I don't know why. I just like this one when I was researching it. The pressure. I guess I didn't think about it that much, but it's a huge issue. Mars is 0.6% of Earth's atmospheric pressure. So that's half of 1%. Really fucking low. Really, really low pressure on Mars. Why is that important? Why do our bodies need atmospheric pressure? They need it to maintain the intake of oxygen and the release of carbon dioxide. Humans also require blood pressure high enough to for the like I was saying for the plasma to reach all their body tissues. Yeah. What, uh, what is atmospheric pressure? What is it? Yeah. What is it? Well, let's go back to high school physics. What is pressure? Yeah. Let's go. I was sleeping. Pressure is force divided by area. So if you're looking at your tires, you know how your tires are psi pounds per square inch. Yeah. Right. So how much pressure is applied to that specific area? Okay. Think of like a okay, think of okay. a hot air balloon. So there's no pressure. There's basically no pressure on Mars, and that's the problem. There's basically no pressure on Mars. There's no is- force being exerted on the body. We need we take gravity for granted here and pressure. 
There's a lot of force being exerted to keep our bodies together. And what happens if we don't have that pressure? Guess what? The air inside our bodies, because it's the gas, what a gas does is it expands to fill up as much as it possibly can. So if we don't have the pressure, what happens? We will blow up like a balloon and explode in a, in a bloody mess. <laughs> yeah, like a balloon. Okay, cool. Okay. So that's why pressure is really important. Um, there's something very cool called the Armstrong Limit. And that is the point at which the water in the human body starts to boil because of the lack of pressure. Okay, because it expands so much, it actually starts because to boil. that liquid wants to become a gas so bad, and there's no pressure keeping it in, it'll just start to boil and pop off into a gas in your own body. Okay, and now where is the, when does this happen? It happens when you're 11 miles above sea level. The pressure is so low that the water boils at the normal temperature of the human body because there's no pressure to hold it in. Planes fly at about 30,000 feet. The Armstrong limit is twice that. It's approximately 60,000 feet. So if you got up there... Yeah. Okay, I got it. So like military military fighter pilots, they operate at about like 58,000 feet. So yeah. they're right there at the Armstrong limit. But they have oxygen masks. They have pressurized cabins and stuff like that to deal with this. Cobra Kai. Absolutely badass. Yeah, absolute Cobra, Cobra Kai. Absolute Cobra Kai, honestly. Um, crazily enough, there is a buried, an absolutely buried technical report that I had to go Edward Snowden on. It's called Rapid Explosive <laughs> Decompression Emergencies in Pressure-Suited Subjects. Okay, it discusses the brief accidental exposure of a real human being to the Armstrong limit. This is what these subjects said. He said his last conscious memory was of the saliva on his tongue beginning to boil, and he passed out. No. What? Is this a fire pilot or some shit? It's, it's not revealed what happened. He was, it says he was introduced to a near Armstrong-like situation. When? When? I don't know. It's not in the paper. Playing bocce. It's not playing bocce, yeah. That's awful. Yeah, it is fucking awful. Can you imagine seeing that and passing out? So pressure is super important. Gravity, super important. Pressure, extremely important. And the pressure on Mars isn't even close to the pressure that we need. So this reason right here, the pressure, this is the reason why people think that we cannot terraform Mars. Because even if we, according to the a 2018 article on NASA's website, this is NASA itself published this, which is kind of like counter PR, but they did it anyway. If we released all of the carbon dioxide that is assumed to be on Mars, all the pressure would only get to 7% of what Earth has. So not even close to what we need. Right. I have that study. Right. Not even close to what we need. Okay. So that's pressure. We talked about toxic atmosphere, pressure, gravity. Two more. One is dust storms. Dust storms. Remember in The Martian when he is in the opening scene where there's a giant dust storm that like rips up the canopy yeah. and flings him around. Just see and that they, again. And they, see that one again. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff by Matt. Um, and they have to leave his ass. So is that a fact of life on Mars? What do you think? According to Surviving Mars, the game, yes. Is it? What happens in Surviving Mars? Surviving Mars, you get dust storms every now and then, which like shuts off all the electricity and and corrodes things and it blows because you have to like be able to repair it really, really well. Yeah. God, I'd love to love to just It's a fucking great game. And taught taught me a lot about you know Mars. Debbie was telling me, my partner, that yeah. something about um, some people's minds where video games are very soothing because the in, there's something that some people like, like us, where an input controls an output. Whereas yeah. if you're just watching a TV show, it's just Ugh. output. I don't, but in a video game, you can me. have input and it kind of like changes things and it makes it cool and soothing. So maybe want to play more. Anyway, okay. dust storms. Once every three years, 
Mars has a gigantic planet encircling dust storm. And by three years, I mean five and a half Earth years. We call those global dust storms, according to NASA, to distinguish them from the regular dust storms. They go half the force of a hurricane at 60 miles per hour. So it is not enough speed to actually rip up secure dwellings like in the Martian, where things are just like flying all over the place. It's not enough to do that. But however, it is enough to get dust absolutely everywhere in all the equipment. As said a NASA engineer, if you've seen pictures of Curiosity, which is the latest rover, after driving, it's just filthy, Smith said. The dust coats everything and it's gritty. It gets into mechanical things that move like gears. When the Spirit and Opportunity rovers landed in 2004, they went through a giant dust storm. And in 2007, it shut them down for a few weeks. Okay, so that's basically the biggest problem. Also because it will cover solar panels if we're using solar electricity, and that would suck. But it's not going to like right. take anyone up off their feet and kill you. because right. the, And block the sun. Yeah, and block. that's true. Because the pressure is so low, it's less intense of a storm. Hmm. There you have but it still fucks the equipment. Yeah, still fucks the equipment. Cool. Last one, magnetic field and solar wind. Yes. And this is a cool Big one. one. Okay. What the hell am I talking about here with a magnetic field and solar wind? Let's go through solar wind first. All right. Solar wind is composed of the particles that escape from the sun's own magnetic field. So these particles that escape from the sun, they have to be the most hottest and fastest moving particles to escape from that magnetic field. And when they do escape, they're moving so extremely fast that they go towards the earth and Mars and they're very destructive to the human body and also to the atmosphere of that planet. That solar wind is all these particles sweeping through the atmosphere, kind of crushing all life. And you need a magnetic field to survive this. Earth has a magnetic field. It has a magnetic field... Scientists speculate because of the circulation in its inner core. Yeah, the, the convection iron, the iron core, right? Not the iron core itself, a layer up the conve- where the magma is flowing. The nickel? The convection currents produce a magnetic field. Somehow, I have no idea, and scientists don't really know either. But we have one. It's really strong. So it, it bounces these ions and particles off, and we're fine, right? Mars does not have this magnetic field. And if you want to visualize a magnetic field, when you take an iron bar, an iron magnet that has like a north-south, and you dump iron fillings on the bar, you it's like magic. You will see the iron go out in a circle instead of just clumping up around the bar. It goes out in lines like a circle, and you can see the actual lines of magnetism. It's pretty amazing. And it gives you a really good idea of what it actually looks like. So there's this giant circle protecting the Earth from these particles. Question. Yeah. In a spacecraft, if you when you go outside of Earth and Earth's magnetic magnetic field, yeah. do you then feel it? Like when you go to the moon? Is the moon in Earth's magnetic field? Um is the moon in Earth's magnetic field? Because the magnetic field uh like it basically protects us from radiation, right? Yeah. Yes. So one of the things that I was reading is that like on Mars, they're like everyone's gonna get cancer. Sure, yeah. Because definitely. we can't protect from we that can't protect from radiation. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not sure how that applies to the moon. It's made of cheese. No, I, you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's the moon because I feel like there was like a duration, like, just like how the, the bone density. So there's like, there's like these, these cutoffs, right? There's the cutoff in for bone density where it gets rid of your, your, like your bone weight. But then there's also, because you get hit by the UV radiation from the sun, you're not in the 
safe magnetic field, that's also something that in space travel we have to work on. What is your question? Nah, just keep going. Okay. Just throw that in there. Okay. Um, because of because of this radiation, Mars is constantly losing atmosphere. It's extremely leaky. And it's estimated that already about a third of the atmosphere of Mars has been stripped away by solar wind already. So that's not good. Because we need that atmosphere to build it back up. The little mm-hmm. that we do have. Um, there, the, the evidence for this, more evidence, came about when Voyager, that old space shuttle. Yeah. Okay, Carl, think Carl Sagan exited what's called the heliosphere, which is the metaphor I was thinking about. If you put a hand, your hand in the river, what happens? You get kind of a teardrop shape behind your hand. Yeah. That is how solar wind works. If your hand is the sun and the solar wind is the teardrop shape. So Voyager exited this, this kind of area that was being, that was being hit by the solar wind and the measure of the solar particles dropped down immediately in a graph. You could see it, it just falls off a cliff. So there's no more particles. That's so cool. it was just cool to see that this is actually something that exists. Where does it? Where did it exit the heliosphere? Uh, outside of the solar system. That's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Okay, so there you go. Those are some of the issues about terraforming Mars. We got a lot of shit to think about. We got dust storms. How the fuck we got we a bad do? atmosphere. How are we gonna do it? Magnetic field. How are we, we gonna got do some, it? We got some shit gravity. What are we gonna do, Noah? <laughs> shit gravity. Tell us. Hey. Okay. So now we're now we're in the section methods for terraforming. The big boy. Yeah. That's why we're how all we, here. How would we do it? Okay. I chose these methods because they were the most feasible economically and te- technologically. So basically, they're the first things that we could p- potentially get to. So I'm going to go into these, okay? The first one, giant orbital mirrors. So solar sails, if you guys haven't heard of solar sails, Bill and I actually just recently launched um, the Lunar Sail 2, which is the size of a bread basket, but had a sail the size of a boxing ring. Oh, wow. Yeah. So picture like, picture a sail. NASA's currently working on this propulsion system that would use huge reflective mirrors that would harness the sun's radiation and just beam it down to Mars. What does this have to do with the methods for terraforming? Yeah, so just hold on. Just hold on. I yeah, will. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, actually, that's a good question. You're right. If we had a giant mirror above Mars beaming down the light onto, onto the solar ice caps, like imagine just a mirror that was hundreds of miles across. Mm-hmm. If it was beaming down the light from the sun, we could terraform the planet by warming it and by melting the solar ice caps. How big does that mirror have to be? Yeah. So they estimate that the mirror would have to be as big as like Lake Michigan. Oh, a massively humongous So yeah. So imagine this. Imagine going to the top of a cliff. Okay. And like having a huge 360 degree view. And imagine the whole sky is full of this mirror. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot bigger than that. But that's basically it. So size, it's supposed to be the size of Lake Michigan. And we need to send like hundreds of them to Mars. Hundreds of mirrors. Hundreds of huge mirrors. That is so cool. Yeah, it's so really that, fucking would cool. Would that get us all the way there? That would just help. So that would that would get us all the way ra- all the way there. If we could send all these mirrors out there, that would basically raise the temperature and melt the solar ice caps. Why would that get us all the way there? Is there enough in the solar ice caps to terraform the planet? That's actually a good point. Because what some I was reading is that so there is yeah, not. So some scientists think that there isn't enough CO2 
on Mars. This is in 2018 by actually a professor at University of Colorado, your alma mater. Oh, uh, yeah. I knew, um, knew him well. S- some scientists think that there is not enough CO2 on Mars that we have to bring in excess CO2. So I'm going to get to that. Okay. But for this one, which is, very, which is you know, it seems very feasible. We launched these sail propellant craft that have basically a it's so they're made out of what's called mylar which is mylar yeah mylar that's my dungeons and dragons character (laughs) uh, just imagine a humongous sailboat yeah imagine a humongous sailboat and the way these things work is they sail on the sun on the sun's um on photons from the sun so so you put you put it up there you bring it out into orbit using like a Falcon Heavy from SpaceX. Mm-hmm. And then you, you drop this, this huge sailboat out there. It uses the sun's photons in like a month. So in a month of using the photons, the one that Bill and I recently sent one up, that was the size of a bread basket again. And the sail was just as big as a boxing ring. What is the size of a bread basket? Is it the mirror? Um, the, the little, there was like a little camera. So imagine a little camera inside of a sail that's as big as a boxing ring. What is that? What is it supposed to do? Bill Nye's experiment? Yeah. So Bill Nye's experiment, it was actually, cra- it was really cool. It was actually crowdfunded, mm-hmm. which is really dope. His experiment was to show like, can these things work and can they accelerate in space? Can these things, that's it? It was just, can it work? Can it get up to a certain speed? Yeah. Can it get to a higher level of orbit and can it get to a certain speed? What does that light sail experiment have to do with the mirrors? Exactly. Because the mirrors would propel themselves using light sail. Okay. The mirror, it would double, it would double as a mirror and a light sail. How would you define light sail? A humongous, very thin sheet that is the size of Lake Michigan. Okay. Yeah. So imagine that. Again, a rocket takes this light sail up into, into the atmosphere, okay? It drops off this tiny little thing, but that has a humongous sail, and that sail uses the sun's photons to sail to Mars, and then it stops there, and it reflects the sun's light onto Mars, onto the polarized caps to melt it and to warm it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so this, is, this theory is called the giant orbital mirror theory. Giant oral uh, the gom theory. Yeah. So just to tell you a little bit more about the mirrors. They'd be around 155 miles in, in diameter diameter for us, you know, geometrically challenged people is just from one point to the other. Yeah. They would have an area of 22,500 miles and they would weigh about 200,000 tons. Right now, the technology we have to make these is out of mylar. How would we, is- how would we get them up? So yeah, to get them up, they're not things that like you can launch out of the gravity that we have here. So you would bring them up in like a Falcon heavy and then discharge them out and they would unfurl their, their sail and just go that way. Sick. Isn't that fucking dope? That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm into the giant orbital mirrors. But even if we did get the mirror set up, I'm still not convinced that there would be enough carbon to terraform. Right. Right. Some scientists don't think that there is. I don't think there's even close. Some scientists, some scientists don't think there is. Okay. So and that brings us, Adam, to the asteroid method. Ah, okay. okay I'm fucking into this. Robert, Robert M. Zubrin, okay, the following is from him. He's like a very respected aerospace engineer who's big on Mars stuff. Mm-hmm. First off, let's talk about ammonia. Ammonia? Yeah. Ammonia is a really powerful greenhouse gas. Luckily, luckily for us, it seems that the universe has stockpiled a large amounts of ammonia on frozen asteroids that are orbiting around the solar system. Oh, we have, there's ammonia out there. Yeah. So there's a lot, exactly. There's a lot of ammonia out there. 
And the great thing is that we can, they're close enough to Mars that we can get these bad boys and redirect them. Rodeo. Yeah, we can wrangle, rodeo. We can wrangle some We ammonia. can wrangle them down to Mars. Okay. So again, the idea, find large frozen ammonia asteroid and rope dope it down to Mars and crash it into Mars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's a very, it's a With very. With what technology would we do that? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. It's a very powerful greenhouse gas. Okay, so the thought here is that then we'll create the greenhouse layer and then we'll warm Mars, which is very cool. Question. Yes, Adam. How powerful is it? Is it more powerful than methane? Yes. It is? Yeah. It's a good question. How powerful? I don't have that exactly, but it is more powerful than methane. So methane is 17 times more powerful than carbon dioxide is what I thought. And then the last thing I read this year said that methane is now thought of as being 30 times more powerful than carbon dioxide. So that's a pretty intense greenhouse gas. Yeah. So... Let me just tell you that actually I'm going to say I'm going to save that for is it is it feasible? There's another greenhouse gas called flora perfluorocarbon or something that is 9000 times as powerful as carbon dioxide. What the hell is that? Yeah, yeah, we're going to get into it. Just hold on. Let me talk about ammonia. Let me talk about ammonia asteroids. Okay, hold your little horses. What do these asteroids look like and where are they? So our subject asteroid is made of ammonia. It's got a mass of 10 billion tons. It's 2 miles in diameter. It's orbiting the sun at a distance of 12 AUs. And an and AU, I finally found out, is a term of measurement in science that means the distance between Earth and the sun. What does it stand for? Not sure. But, Astronomical but, unit. Oh, good. Look at you go. Well, okay. I'm trying to set you up, but sometimes I throw it up to myself off the backboard, you know? That's okay, but then you can dunk. Yeah. Um. So it's 12 times the distance that Earth to the sun is. This is also where these asteroids are likely to be. Basically, this is between Saturn and Uranus, Adam. Uranus is getting foggier and foggier every day. Yeah. So again, two mile frozen ammonia asteroid somewhere between Saturn and Uranus. How do we move them? Mm-hmm. As you asked before. Well, Robert M. Zubrin has a plan. If we sent 5,000 nuclear thermal rocket engines to this asteroid, and then we Holy used shit. eight. <laughs> yeah. Does that sound like a good idea? So, well, I'm just, I'm telling you, we basically, we sent 5,000 nuclear rockets to this asteroid okay mm-hmm. we land the nukes on this asteroid we then use eight percent of the asteroids ammonia as propellant for these engines the hell yeah, yeah yeah if we did that we could accelerate the asteroid to ten thousand eight hundred miles per hour which would be enough to to nudge the asteroid which is 10 billion tons very fucking heavy onto the onto the right course so it's it is literally the plot of armageddon we're blowing up nukes on the asteroid? Was that the plot of Armageddon? Yeah. So these are like engines. Oh, did They're they engines. attach themselves to the asteroid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From what I got, 5,000 of them. Are they nuclear powered? Yes, exactly. So the nuclear explosion isn't a factor. It's that they're nuclear powered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Thank you. They're nuclear powered. So they fucking attach on the asteroid, 5,000 of them. Then they suck some of the ammonia from the asteroid and they blast, they blast the asteroid into Mars. How do they suck ammonia from the asteroid? They would have to, because the asteroid's made of ammonia, they would have to drill into the asteroid and use that as fuel because they can't carry the fuel with them to blast the asteroid. Sounds like a very complicated device. Sounds a lot more complicated than mirrors, right? Yeah. Yeah. The do we m- even have nuclear reactors that are that small right now? I mean, I guess on submarines. Yeah, we do. That's a really, really we good fission point. Fission reactors. That's a really good point. We do. Uh, I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna get in. I have a section on feasibility. I can talk about feasibility now. No, you keep. You keep doing you. you let do, me do me. Let me. Do let me do me. Um. Again, I, I like the mirrors. Okay. What happens on impact, Adam? 
what happens when one of these asteroids hit? They would have enough force to melt 1 trillion tons of water or a lake with an area of 10,000 miles and 150 feet, feet deep, which is a big-ass fucking lake. Okay. It's like one of the Great Lakes. Okay. They melt it? When they, when they, when they hit it, they, they would melt that much of the frozen water there. Oh, okay. They're landing in an ice cap then. They're landing in the, in the polar regions? Yeah, we would try and hit the polar regions with them. Okay, so not only is it releasing ammonia, but it's also very melting good, the ice caps. Good. There's two things that these asteroids are good for. Uh huh. One, hitting the polar ice caps and melting them. Mm-hmm. And the other one is bringing a ton of greenhouse gases in the ammonia onto the planet. Okay, so two for a okay. twofer. So yeah, so when you say that, like that article that said that there isn't enough CO2 on the planet to actually warm it. Yeah. Well, this one is good because this one actually brings the greenhouse gas to the planet. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a ironic situation that we're so good at fucking up our planet with greenhouse gas, but we can't seem to greenhouse gas. Yeah, but, we, but now we need to do that thing to just a planet really far away. Right. So the ammonia release from from one of these would raise the planet's temperature by about six degrees Fahrenheit. Just the ammonia. So it'd still be cold as fuck. How cold is it on Mars? It's like negative seventy. It's like negative fifty-five uh-huh. degrees Celsius. Yeah. It's really cool, and we gotta warm it up. So the ammonia from one of these will also create an ultraviolet radiation shield across the planet that would help to protect from the solar wind, which we talked about oh. Earth having from, from its iron core and that Mars doesn't have. Wow, that's a good move. Yeah, yeah. So this thing fucking rocks, but we would need to send 5,000 nuclear, nuclear rockets to attach and drill into an asteroid. It does sound like an unbelievably intense undertaking. Yeah. So Robert Zubrin estimates estimates that if one of these such mis- missions were launched per year, mm-hmm. then Mars would have a temperate climate and enough water melted to cover a quarter of the planet with an ocean that was three feet deep. Oh come on! How how can you predict something like that? That is insane. Well, this is all theory. The thing about terraforming Mars is that it's all theoretical, because we're not we're not even close. It is indeed. It is indeed. I, mean, that, I like that outside the box kind of thinking. Rope a doping an asteroid. Yeah, no, I, never I, think I mean about that, that. Then we bring the greenhouse gases there. Okay, Adam. Let me go in. Let me go into good old-fashioned factories. Oh, okay. okay. This is another one. This one's. This one is more feasible. Put like, a bunch of coal plants on there. Stock it with child <laughs> child yeah, labor. Baby. All right. As as we will get into there, there might not be enough CO two actively trapped on Mars, as we talked about. But we can make factor, factories producing what is known as super greenhouse gases to warm the planet. Yeah, Adam. We already touched on this, but what is a super greenhouse gas? Per fluorocarbon, 9,000 times as powerful, powerful as carbon dioxide. So a very small amount of it would be, would be needed to warm Mars. So basically, we have a bunch of different factories on there making per fluorocarbon. How do you make it? Carbon? So it's, it's like a coal Not kind sure. of situation? Not sure. But it is like the, the daddy of greenhouse gas. It's got to be something organic, right? Ish. Yeah. Or made in the Earth's crust that you're burning. Can we find something that gives off that... That, That's a good uh, question. Like, Mars? how is perfluorocarbon even made? Uh, I'm yeah, not sure. To we, be honest, okay. So, but get, I think we can make it though. If I mean, if we couldn't find it on Mars, then we'd have to ship in the material. So, from what I was reading, the issue isn't the perfluorocarbon, like mm-hmm. making it. I think we can make it. The issue is building the factories on Mars. Oh, really? Yes. So, Chris McKay of NASA and Margarita Marinova of MIT, now of SpaceX. Estimate that if you had 100 factories, each having the energy of a nuclear reactor, work, working for 100 years, you could warm Mars six You could warm Mars six to eight degrees. And Mars is about, as we talked about, 
minus 55 degrees Celsius. So to increase the temperature to get to the melting point of water would take about 800 years with this mess with this method. Right. And that is, and that's starting with having a hundred factories and getting the crew for a hundred factories. Yeah. I mean the freezing oh, like to get it above Celsius zero, like, to get it to Celsius one to get, yeah, to get exactly mm-hmm. right. To get it past 32 degrees Fahrenheit to even like not freeze the water. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Fuck. Let me just let me just summarize what we've done so far. Yeah, please. Giant orbital mirrors. Okay, these are good because they're they're economic. The technology is rather simple. Okay. Then we have the asteroid method, which is great because it's a big impact, but it's pretty technologically deep impact. Deep impact. Pretty technologically difficult. Then we have the good old fashioned factories, which would work, and we can make the perfluorocarbon. But we'd have to make the factories on Mars and people would literally have to work in them for 800 years. Okay. Sounds great. Okay. Let's just fucking do it. Two more. Yeah. Microbes. Let's talk about microbes, Adam. Microbes. Up until 2.4 billion years ago on Earth, there was no oxygen in the air. So it took what is called the biggest evolutionary leap in history, some some scientists think, called the Great Oxidation Event. And this is when single-celled organisms started to photosynthesize. And these organisms were known as cyanobacteria. And they started to pump out oxygen. So basically, 2.4 billion years ago, we didn't have any oxygen. It takes creatures to make oxygen. Little microbes. Little microbes. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Where can you see these little microbes? Go to a lake or a river, and there are the algae floating on top. Oh. And they're, yeah, they're, cyanobacteria. What are they? They're eating little, little what? They're just photosynthesizing. Oh, they're photosynthesizing. They're photosynthesizing like oh, crazy. and therefore producing yes. oxygen. Yes. So these are the these are the guys that actually created the oxygen to make you know enable for are they us plants to come or animals? Oof, that's good. Because if they're photosynthesizing, they're plants, right? Yeah, they're plant. So they're microbial plant. Yes. And if if you see algae, when the next time you see algae, just they, that's that's the thing that Sick. made the oxygen. Fucking love algae. Okay, that's that's the fucking I love thing. Some algae. So basically, the idea for this one is to genetically enhance these bad boys to make them make them fucking viral make them strong okay and just smash and then smash a ton of them into mars and see what happens okay what do they i mean they're usually on water right algae they yeah. usually need water so what do we do about that we're gonna we're gonna make them not need water how oh okay these are on so so these the two this one and the next one these are honorable mentions ah okay, okay they're like not it. as thought out as the, as the first three mm-hmm. okay can i get to my last one Mm-hmm. My last one is nuking Mars. Oh, perfect. Okay, you've probably heard this from from Elon Musk. Let me just say that it was not first proposed by Elon Musk. It was a, it was actually in a Mars trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson, very famous Red, books. Red Mars. Yeah, Red Mars, Green Mars, and then Blue Mars. Published in nine started in nineteen ninety three. Let me just say I checked the Goodreads for it to see if it maybe, was worth a go. Maybe we want to give it a gander. I've gotten recommended it. It's been recommended uh, to me. Yeah, let me just say that lots of the reviews say that it's really dated. Oh. And dated sci-fi... Isn't for you? ...is real rough. What is... Okay, so what is the nuking of Mars? What does that mean? Okay, so basically, he probably just said it in, like, the greatest PR move ever. Because the crazy thing is that when I, like, when I research this to try and actually find scientific information on it... um. There, every single article on like the first two pages of Google is just saying like that it's not true, it's not possible. But then it's just like this huge, it's this huge PR stunt for him that like really, really worked. Who's him? Elon Musk. What did he do? He said he he said that like he made this popular that like we should nuke Mars. But really, like he's just doing it to like get press. Okay. Yeah. 
What is his argument though? Is it it's going to increase the temperature when you nuke it? Well, let me tell you. Okay. Okay. We're going to basically nuke the polar ice caps on each side of Mars. That's going to release water and it's going to, and it's going to release all the CO2 trapped within and create a runaway greenhouse effect. As you already mentioned before in that paper in 2018, they're saying there's a lot of scientists saying that there is not near enough CO2 trapped on Mars to, for this to be effective. Oh, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. So the problems with this, while actually he's saying that it would take 10,000 nuclear warheads and in the world we have about 13,000. So we actually have the technology to do it right now. I'm sure we have enough nuclear warheads. We have enough, we have enough fucking nukes to do it. Uh, unclear if it would work. Problems would be like the nuclear fallout from the weapons, such as the radiation. What the hell is going to happen What's there? What's going to happen? And also scientists think that it could possibly create a big dust cloud that would actually block the sun further cooling the planet. What about if there is actually a lake under those ice caps and if there is some intelligent life there and we just nuke it? Right. Well, that's well, that's the thing. Before we terraform the the, the planet, are we getting rid of like? That's when we get. We sure that's we when we this? get pulled by the zookeeper. That's when the zookeeper's yeah. like, "That's enough." He's like, yeah, so once "All we, right, once we send the nukes, that's when the zookeeper's like, these guys suck.' Or someone pulls the cord in our cerebrum. These guys, and we're suck. like, okay, that's the simulation's right, over. Simulation over. They, they fail. Lost, they, they, fail lost, the they lost, and it took this long. Yeah. Um, I think the idea is at least interesting. But sure, I think yeah. it's, it's obviously, it's a little too, it's too destructive. It is some heady shit. It's some heady shit, honestly. Okay. We're going to take a musical break. Think about all the ways you can terraform Mars. And then after that, it's the best time of the podcast and the day. Giant orbital mirrors. It's time for, it's time for halftime, honey. Let's do it. <laughs> This is the halftime honey. Thank fucking god! Honestly. This is the halftime honey toast where we discuss and celebrate some absurd science in the news that is somehow related to our episode. And this episode is terraforming Mars. I find the story, and Noah responds with his immediate thoughts. So honey I raise honey. my honey. Noah, what are we drinking? We are drinking the Jack Daniels honey. Which the Jack is the Daniels first honey thing that they'll drink on Mars when they terraform it. It probably is. God, toasting you is such a reach. Oh, I raise my glass. Okay, I am to this man who you. We have already talked about, but you can't get through a space episode without talking about him. To SpaceX, whose Starship rocket yep. had a, in quotes, successful test flight. I'm doing bunny ears. Successful test flight yesterday. And the reason I'm doing quotes is because it flew around for six minutes. It came back, landed, and, and right away blew up into a giant fireball. And then Elon Musk tweeted, Mars, here we come. Success. Toast to that. Lahayim. Lahayim. And now goes the honey. Oh my god, the podcast got ten times better. Oh, that feels so good. Woo. All right, couple things on this. Yeah, sure. Okay, one, I I read a lot of astronauts talking about this, and they said that it was a successful flight because it, one, if you watch the whole video of the flight, right before it, go, so basically it goes up and then comes down, and it was like this flight was to test if it could do this one maneuver. Right before it lands, it like flips the whole ship, like flips around. Whoa! In this, it's so sick. It literally looks like a Star Wars maneuver. What is the maneuver? It looks like you know, like right before a ship lands, they fold their wings up and like spin or something. Uh huh. 
this this ship like it goes up and then it comes down and it it does like a if you took a pencil and then, then rotated it lengthwise mm-hmm. like that to make a wheel it does that whole maneuver and then unbelievable and then actually lands down straight but then yeah blows up but unbelievable like, but they're saying that like that maneuver was what it was testing i didn't i'm not saying it just blew up it like blew the fuck up <laughs> like, it was dope. it's like where is it you guys should watch the video it was sick you guys should watch the video it, it was, was fucking, so sick. it was fucking sick it blew the fuck um, up but so I do think it was successful. I also think that um, I think that I I didn't realize that there's a lot he's that there's a lot of divisive opinion on him. Some people don't like him. I think he's been getting a little flack lately because he's he's a he's a, a tweeter. He's been tweeting yeah. a lot. I don't know, but I don't know if you're supposed to like him personally. You're just supposed to be amazed at what he's doing for the human race. You know, it's not a, it's not a guy that I would want to go have coffee with. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like someone you'd want to hang out with. He does interview. You want to hang out with him. He did an interview where someone asked him what his favorite video game was. And the guy, the guy who was interviewing him was so scared. He was like, the interview is over. And then the guy gets up to leave and Elon Musk goes up to him. He's like, wait, do you like Half-Life? <laughs> Half-Life 2? Great, great game. Valve, great company. And you know how he talks like in his, yeah, his, yeah, yeah. In his weird cadence. Dude. So I read, I read a, uh, there's a book down on him. Read a, read a book on it. Good book. It's a good book. And uh, I think when you're that smart, I think life is uh, very lonely. Yeah. No, because I totally, uh, no one yeah. else is at the same level that you are. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like that all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of speaking of crazy maneuvers, I just want to mention, honorable mention to someone I used to work with. Um, she told us when we were working with her, me and my compatriots, that there was a sex move called the crab. And we asked her, we we're like, what the fuck is the crab? We asked her all year and she couldn't describe what it was. She was yeah. like, there's something with the legs behind the head maneuver. Does she so, do the crab herself? She said that she did the crab. So whoever, whoever is out there doing the crab, that toast was to you as well. Yeah. Also, we'd like to know. Also, we'd like to know, is the crab possible? Also, is there life on Mars, Noah? Yeah. Okay. Adam, is there? Is so there? basically before we terraform it, is there probably life on it that we're going to destroy? Why is this important? Us? Why is this super important? So the zookeeper doesn't destroy us. Right. Because if there's life on Mars, do we really want to send nukes down and destroy everything? Or crash an asteroid into it. Or crash an asteroid into it. it. Or burn it with giant or, reflective mirrors. As we know, with alien invasive species going like to areas where they were not originated in, it can really fuck things up. So we wouldn't want to do that either. So we got to be careful. So is there life on Mars? And I'm going to tell you in 10 minutes, okay? The whole history of is there life on Mars? So it starts with, of course, water. Water, we still think, is absolutely critical for life everywhere. There is a small amount of water vapor in the atmosphere of Mars, and more water may currently exist under the polar ice caps. We know for sure, we're pretty damn sure that there are polar ice caps. At this point, we have pictures of it. And this all starts the water saga with the Naniti Valley picture in 1998, okay? These are pictures of canyons on Mars. And these canyons, it looks like someone just took a picture of the Grand Canyon and painted it like gray. If you blow it up for a bigger image, it even looks a little bit like the Amazon where it has many tributaries and it's going all... Really? Yeah, it does, does to me. It does to me. It even has little deltas where... If you're looking at a river and the water flows around an island in the middle, that's kind of what it looks like as well. Uh, NASA says it suggests, the images suggest continual fluid flow. But what is that flow? Is that flow wind flow? Is it glacial ice flow? Is it lava flow? 
So basically, it looks like a delta, like water has been flowing around. In it there. looks like water. I mean, water erosion is very easy to see, right? On Earth, you mm -hmm. look at a dry riverbed. You're like, water is a powerful force that carved out that dry riverbed. Yeah. So that's the same thing on Mars. It looks like water carved this out. But is that water water water? Is it H2O? It could be something else. You know, it could be lava. It could be other forms of liquid carving that out. Okay, so that was the 1998 picture. Let's fast forward to 2006 with the Mars Orbital Machine. I'm just going to say it's the Mars Orbital Rover machine that's flying up there. It's like a satellite basically orbiting Mars, taking pictures. The Jizoro Crater. crater. The Jizoro. The Jizz Crater. <laughs> it's, it's a low bar. It's a the, low bar. It's the Jizz Crater. It's a low bar. Um, it's a 30-mile crater that contains a delta that is rich in something very important yeah, to is. water. It's rich in clay. Where do you find clay? You find clay riverbed. in mom's art class and also in a riverbed, a big lake, right? So they it was a 30-mile crater that's a big lake, and they found a bunch of clay, and clay is only formed near water. Plus, there are two channels off the crater, the Jezora Crater, that likely supplied it with this water. In 2006, the Mars Orbiter identified this clay inside the Jezoro crater's center, and it implies the presence of water. The third thing, the Curiosity rover, the last rover on Mars, where we got a lot of evidence about water from. This rover saw a number of rocks that we are pretty sure were exposed to water billions of years ago. One thing about the surface of Mars is that because of its atmosphere, it hasn't changed in billions of years, the surface. Okay. It's very static. So you can see things that give you clues so, on the surface very easily. So we have a lot of evidence of water. We have a lot of evidence of water. Just right. greater. A lot of evidence of water. Okay. Um, they took some of the sediment and it went through a process. I can't believe the rover did this. It's called pyrolyzing, which is it just lit it on fire. I would love to see a picture of the Mars rover just lighting like light up, torch and just, just torching the sediment. God, I want to light it up. It lit it on fire and it released uh, components of organic compounds that are essential to life. So there you go. The Jezero Crater, the Naniti Valley picture, and the Curiosity rocks. Cool. So there's some evidence there. There is a bunch of evidence there. Also, the polarized caps, as we've been talking about, there are... Some people that say that underneath those polar ice caps, there could huge be octopus. a huge octopus. Huge megafauna octopus. Let me ask you something. Yeah, octopus. Geothermal vents in the deep sea. Yes. Okay. These can be hotbeds of life. Absolutely hotbeds. Okay. Bacteria eat the little microbes that are coming up out of the vent and then squids eat those bacteria and so on and so forth, creating a food chain. Right? Yeah. It's even supposed that a whole intelligent life food chain could exist under the ice caps of Ice planets in like, general. Like, wait, 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 like that? Like the, like the deep sea vents? Like deep sea vents. Like if you're talking about an ice planet, right? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go on tangent to ice planets. I need to go. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah, like to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, go. Okay. Go, ice go, planets, go. right? Yeah, ice planets. Fucking ice planets. 50% of the universe is comprised almost of ice planets. Planets that don't have a solar system or a sun. So the top of the planet is ice. However, there could be there's, a huge fucking ocean below. There could be a huge ocean, ocean below. And... Geothermal vents account for, it's not very much, but it accounts for 0.03% of the heat that we get on our planet. Okay. The other, the other 99.97 you know, is from the sun. But in these planets that are ice planets, they still might have geothermal vents. So there might be intelligent life underneath the ice of these planets just swimming around in the ocean. Wait, 
That seems like there is. How do we not know that? We there, don't know. We don't how know. Do we not know. We don't know. But we might cut through the ice of this planet and see a giant like tentacle and. So we cut through the ice and just a, like a big tentacle comes through and just. Right. So that could be happening on Mars. When we drop the nuke into the ice cap, we could actually be destroying an intelligent race that lives underneath the ice with a geothermal vent. That's all I have to say about that. Noah. I like that. Please take us to the finish line here. Okay. We're going to finish with, is it possible? And when could we do it? Okay. We already talked about, is there even enough CO2? Basically, a lot of scientists think that there isn't enough CO2 to terraform Mars with just what's there. So we'd have to bring some. Okay. So we would most likely need to bring the greenhouse gases to the planet. But could we feasibly do this? We're going to run through all the technologies we just talked about, Adam. And we're going to briefly talk about where we are at now with this technology. Where are we at? Where the fuck are yeah. we at? <laughs> um, I'll tell you where I'm at. Yeah, where are you at? Friday night. And I feel all right. I need a bong rip. On the west side. Okay, hey, solar cells. Great mirror. Okay. In 2019, as we talked about a little bit, in a sick, sick crowdfunded project by none other than the man himself. Daniel Taylor. Bill, yeah, Daniel fucking Taylor and Bill and I yeah. officially launched a solar sail and used just the sail to accelerate to a higher point of orbit, something right. that had only been done with rocket fuel before. Oh my so God. where so where are we at with solar sails? Yeah, where are we? Okay, so remember, the goal is to make a sail as big as Lake Michigan right? and to send that shit all the way to Mars, and that sail will also have a big mirror on one side, and it will reflect the sun. Right. Right? So where we're at with that, again, that's the goal. Where we are at is we're at a, a sail the size of a boxing ring. Okay. Okay. That has just accelerated in orbit. Okay. I'll take it. Okay. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at for there. So we still got a long way to go. We do. We still got a long way to go. But it is a really, you should check the project out. It's really cool. It was all crowdfunded. Amazing. And led by Bill and I because solar sails are a very economical, a great method of propulsion potentially. Because of the way that they take the the photons from the sun, it's basically like what's more expensive, a a motorboat, a, or a speedboat, or a sailboat. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Do they ride on the solar wind from the sun, or are they taking the the light rays? From Very the sun? good question. The photons. The photons. Okay, the light they energy. Don't ride on the solar wind. They take the photons. That is the light and the, the, the light energy. The cool thing about space, different than the sailboat and the speedboat analogy. Is that in space you can have a unlimited size sail? It doesn't matter. You can just have the sail be as big as the United States. So God said we made my penis. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. There you go. All right, asteroids. Talk about the asteroids, Adam. Yep. Again, the goal: we're going to send five thousand nukes past Saturn, where they're going to they're going to attach to the planet. They're going to have drilling technology, and yep. they're going to be thermal yep. rockets. Yep. Okay. Yep. So far, here's what we've done as far as sending things to Saturn. Oh, man. We have only sent four robotic spacecraft past Saturn. Voyager 1, Voyager 2. Those are in there. And okay, so Voyager 1, Voyager 2. Do you, do you know the others? Yeah, it's uh, something 10 and 11. What is it? Ooh, nice. It's Na uh, the P. starts with the P. NASA's Pioneer. Yeah, fuck. See? No, so it's, it's actually just NASA's Pioneer 11, Voyager 1, Voyager 2, and the Kasani mission. And the Kasani probe. And that probe actually orbited Saturn for 13 years. Wow. And then plunged into it. So we've only actually, we, again, when you send 5,000 nukes past Saturn to get to the asteroid, we've only sent four things with a fraction of the technology that one of yeah, these nukes would have. An absolute fraction of an the technology. An absolute fucking fraction. So when we're talking about fraction of technology, these nukes need to be need to be able to drill 
yeah. through frozen ammonia. So they're, yeah. it's basically a drilling engine spacecraft. If you're someone that thinks that technology is speeding up, you should listen to the Ariana simulation episode because it might be yeah, slowing so down. So not sure if we're getting to the 5,000 nukes to go land on the asteroid, but we'll see. Okay. Okay, factories. Yeah. Again, we can make... So where, where do we need to get at? We need hundreds of factories... Okay, for for eight that are manned for eight hundred years on Mars that make perfluorocarbons, which we can already make. Okay, so the hardest part of this is getting the people to Mars. Okay, and where where are we at with this? Well, we talked about it. The SpaceX flight that happened two days ago. That is as far as we've gotten to. That is the ship and the technology that's going to get us to Mars. Our Lord and Savior, Elon Musk. Yeah. So again, we need to build 100 factories and man them with manpower for 800 years. And the flight two days ago, it did a really sick flip. Sick flip. And it definitely blew up. Crab maneuver. He speculates that in six years, we'll be on Mars. What? Yeah, that's what he said. He All says, right. with some good luck, maybe four. In his South African accent. Okay. So we're going to go six years. Let's say six years. We got some people on Mars, like 10 people. Yep. We need probably thousands of people on there. Well, yeah. I mean, how? And, we- and we got to build the factories. But honestly, the fact. So, Adam, if you were to pick one, if you were to pick, I'm going to take out microbes and um, and nuking Mars. Nuking Mars is just, just we just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to go solar sails. And so, and with a huge mirror, huge mirror, basically, yeah, asteroid or factories. Which one's your favorite? I think it has to be a combination. I really like the mirror one. I think the mirror, I'm really into the mirror. One I'm too. really into the mirror, and I really, really like the microbes releasing ammonia. I think that that's cool. I think oh, that oh, you actually like the ammonia microbe? Yeah, because you want to build a a thick atmosphere of greenhouse gases, and if ammonia is such a dirty, bad greenhouse gas, that would be great. And it's already right there in asteroids. Um, yeah, I like that one. I mean, this is all, we should really think about the ethics behind this before we do any of these things though. However, we should have a sit down, right? We should talk about it. Maybe we shouldn't do this before discovering what's under those ice caps. I'm just saying, yeah, this should have been an open kimono. Let's go to open kimono. Yeah. We're going to take one more break to think about our thoughts and collect ourselves on the red planet. And we will be back with open kimono. This is the open kimono where we freely talk and we discuss our final thoughts on the topic. We leave nothing to the imagination because the kimonos are open. So Noah, what's your open kimono? Okay. My take is that I think that the one that we're closest to is probably doing the great mirror solar sails first. And then after we warm the planet enough and make it easier for people to live there, then we can send do the factories. 
Okay. I kind of feel like the asteroid with the 5,000 nukes being sent past Saturn, uh, I just feel like we're far. We're very far from that technology. That sounds a little science fiction. That, se- that seems tough to me. Also, again, the, the cool thing about the Great Mirror and the factories, while they're slower, it does give us more time to control for error that we don't know if it's going to happen. One thing interesting I did think, though, is that these do seem like, like once you wrap your mind around it, you're like, oh, like I kind of get it. You know, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Like, I get it. It could happen. Okay. What's your What's your kimono? My open kimono, kimono. I really like that this is just a feat of engineering. And you know, we have some great ideas in theory to do it that should work. We know how to make greenhouse gases. We've been doing it accidentally. Yeah, we're really good at we're it. We're really good at it. Really Guess what? Good at it. So it just, the, the research is there to me. And this now becomes a feat of engineering which we have always been good at. So I actually feel good about it. I feel like we could do it. I feel like we And could it might do it. take something crazy. I really like the growing the of the microbes or something like that. It might take a very long time to make it habitable, but it doesn't mean we can't like, you know, live in a bubble and make that little bubble habitable in the meantime. Right, bubble boy. Yeah, bubble boy. Something like that. You know, make the hab, yeah. make a giant hab you. or indoor Indoor if, environment. We if, don't have to make the whole planet habitable right away. We can take baby steps, Noah. We can take baby steps. If they said, "Hey, Adam, yep, go to Mars. We need, yeah, we need, we need ten people to go to Mars, and 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 you could do it if you want." What do you say? Um, I'd say, "Who's coming with me?" It's me. It's you know Victoria's Secret models, like five yeah, of them, absolutely. And you know me and my absolute dogs. And my actual dog. And my actual dog as well. <laughs> and my actual dog coming and too. And my, my girlfriend's like, listen, you go do your thing. You know, save humanity. I'd be like, you know, no. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking good. Maybe. Maybe. I would love to be part of the engineering team that designed some of the stuff, of course. That'd be amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Guys. Yeah. Shout out to Sarah and her boyfriends. May they find their way to Mars and, help, to and Mars. help colonize. And help colonize. Where they'll find girlfriends, just not Sarah. Um, shout out to Elon Musk for just, just leading the just space, lean, just the space lean, shit. Just lean it. Good shout job. out to the humongous, intelligent octopus underneath the yeah, ice on Yeah, shout Mars. out to him. Hope we are well. not going to nuke you. Okay. We, we won't. Noah and I we won't. We won't. We won't. So keep it real down there. Guys, we love you. Thank you for We listening. love you guys. If you really love the podcast, please go to iTunes. Please give us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. We love it. It helps the podcast. And we will see you next time. Bye.